I don't even know what we were talking about. Ministry! <laughs> a bunch of y'all are in all sorts of different ministry, right? This concept of loving God and loving other people and serving other people out of obedience to God and in a way that furthers what he wants in his kingdom. And that can be in a church, but it isn't just limited to a church, right? And all of you, if you're followers of Jesus, have been placed by him in different places to do ministry. And some of you are, like this amazing tech team and our worship team, uh, ministering in the church. Others of you, though, your ministry is in a neighborhood or on your sports team or in a school or in a book club or in a supper club. Parents, if you are a parent, your ministry is to your kids. And for some kids in this room who are in your 50s or 60s, your ministry is to your aging parents who are facing different health issues. All of us who are followers of Jesus have been placed by Jesus in different places to do ministry. And so I just want to start with two quick questions for you this morning to answer on your own. First is, where is that place for you that God has placed you in ministry? Where is that place, right? And I'm not asking just where are you serving at a church. The question is much broader than that. But where are you in a place where you can love other people and serve other people in obedience to Jesus in a way that furthers his kingdom? Where are those spots for you? And then as you're thinking about that, the second question I'd like to ask you along with that is, how are you feeling in that ministry? How are you feeling on that? Are you encouraged? Are you discouraged? Are you energized? Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you weary? Or are you just hitting the stride? We, we've been studying for the past months since the fall uh, the product of a work of ministry that's been done by a guy named John. John was an apostle, a follower of Jesus, and we're in this moment where we're working through the book of Revelation. And really, the book of Revelation was recorded by John and was part of his ministry to other Christians. We're studying and working through the fruit of a ministry of a guy who lived centuries and centuries and centuries ago. And when John was doing ministry and when John was working through the book of Revelation specifically and ministering to us in this way, it's important to remember what he was facing. He was, as we said when we kicked this off, he was alone. He was on this island in house arrest. There was nobody else there with him. He was isolated from a community that had given encouragement to him. I loved what Luke said about the ways that this body can be of encouragement to one another, and John didn't have that. He was separated from that, alone, isolated, doing ministry on an island all by himself under house arrest. And when he starts writing the chapter that we're in, chapter 10, we don't exactly know what he's feeling in that moment. But what we do know is that when he gets about three quarters of the way through chapter 10, he, he's feeling pretty discouraged, and he's feeling pretty burdened, and he's feeling pretty weary and heavy by the ministry that God has put before him. And in today's text, what God does is kind of just call a timeout through the progression and the track of Revelation. And God is going to take some time and some moments just to do this parenthetical chapter and to minister to John, who himself was getting weary throughout his ministry. And what we're going to see God remind John of and God teach John this morning for those of you who, as community group leaders or working with students or serving in the nursery or getting up very early on Sunday mornings to be here, 
and you're tired and you're worn out. For those of you who have been trying to serve and love somebody who doesn't know Jesus and just build a relationship, but it has been a long, long process. For those of you who are parents and your kids are little and they never say thank you, all they say is, more Cheerios! And you're like, man, I'm tired. For those different folks who are elders uh, or different leaders in our church in different ways, and it's just a burden, and you're a little tired. Maybe what God tries to teach John this morning to be of an encouragement to him will be of an encouragement to you and to me this morning as we pursue and press on in the ministry that God's called us to. And so if you're weary from ministry, then maybe this text this morning is for you. Or one day, someday, when you become weary in ministry, maybe this can be a tool that you go back to. So we're in Revelation chapter 10, and we're going to pull out from this um, a handful of different things to know and to see when you're burdened or weary in ministry. So here's where the conversation begins in Revelation chapter uh, 10. Here's how it starts, verses 1 through 3. John has been recording all of these things. What John has been doing is recording things about what is yet to come. It's going to be a little different today because he's going to be talking to us about actually what was happening in real time in 95 AD, not necessarily the future things. It's pause in that uh, narrative and that <clears throat> timeline. And here's what he says. Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven, wrapped in a cloud with a rainbow over his head, and his face was like the sun, and his legs like pillars of fire. He's been recording all of these things, these terrible, hard, heavy things about what is yet to come in the future. And he's in this moment where he sees another vision. There's this other experience, and he's starting to capture for us what he sees. And he tells us these things, right? I saw this angel coming down from heaven, wrapped in a cloud, rainbow over his head, face like the sun, and legs like pillars of fire. And there's all this imagery in this description of the angel that actually helps draw us back to the attributes and the characteristics of God. And John would have been recording this, and as he's recording this, all of these things would have been triggers to him, making him realize, man, there's this angel that I'm seeing, but this angel is drawing me back to these characteristics of God wrapped in a cloud signifies, right, symbolically, when you see those phrases through Scripture, the majesty and the power of God. This idea of a rainbow over his head. In the Old Testament, there was this period of time where God punished people who were on the earth through a flood. And he made a promise after that that shows his mercy. And his promise was, I will never again destroy the earth in this way. This, this promise, this faithfulness, this mercy, this reminder of God being a God who makes promises and who keeps promises. This next image is face like the sun reflecting and talking about his glory and his power. Legs like pillars of fire. Back in the Old Testament as well, there was this group of people who were wandering and trying to figure out where God was leading them. And the, one of the ways in which God would lead them was through this pillar of fire. And then this last thing that talks about um, a little further down as we keep reading, we're going to see um, <clears throat> verse 2. He had a little scroll open in his hand, and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. This symbol that whether it's earth or heaven, all of it is under the domain and the power and the control and the sovereignty of God. And as John 
is in this season of ministry, and as John has been spending however long in his, this being part of his ministry, as he's alone, as he might be weary, as he's processing really difficult things, what God gives to him in that moment is this snapshot of what the person for whom John is ministering is like. God gives John this snapshot of, John, you're serving me, you're obeying me, you're ministering for me, and let me draw you back to and let me remind you what I'm like and who I am. Here's kind of the first thing to know if you get burdened in ministry. And, and remember, the ministry that you're doing is the ministry that God has called you to. He is the one who has put you in that place. He is the one who has given you that moment. And in that moment, what we need to remember, it's simple, but it can be meaningful, <clears throat> that God is powerful, he's faithful, he guides, and he is in control of everything. You're in a spot this morning trying to serve God, trying to love God, trying to obey God. And in that place, you may be loving it or you may be tired of it. But in that place, the God who has called you to it is a God who is powerful, who is faithful, who guides and is in control of every one thing. He is the one who is behind you and with you as you are on the front line serving him wherever you're serving him. We got, uh, we, a lot of my appliances in our house that we all bought at the same time all decided they were done living at the same time. Have you ever had that happen? You buy a bunch of appliances, and then after about 10 years and one month, kind of after a warranty's over, they're all like, nope, I ain't doing another load of laundry. Nope, I ain't drying no more towels. Most problematic was, nope, I ain't washing another dish. Our dishwasher broke, and our <clears throat> dryer broke, and in our prioritization of life, since we don't have oil flowing through our backyard and we're not like millionaire oil barons, we had to decide, would we rather have clean and dry clothes, or maybe we could just get a sponge and wash the dishes and dry them by hand. That's what we chose. So for months, we went without a dishwasher, and um, <clears throat> I love when God uh, provides in ways that you don't expect. And there's an amazing story of, and we don't know how, but absolutely just unexpectedly uh, and unknowingly, man, God provided a brand new dishwasher. Crazy. Um, and so I installed that brand new dishwasher. <laughs> no, don't give me that nervous chuckle. That's the chuckle my wife had when I told her I'm going to do it. Babe, I'm going to save us $71. I'm going to install this thing. She's like, okay, I love you. <laughs> but I kind of did it, right? I got the, you can do, I watched the YouTube, the thing, we put the dishwasher in, and we've had that thing, I don't know, months, right? Three months, four, six months. We've had, and dish after dish, it's worked perfectly. And then a week or so ago, a couple weeks ago, <laughs> I noticed there was a little water coming from underneath it. After six months, six months of amazing installation of a dishwasher. But then there was a little water coming underneath it. And I'm like, it can't be that. I didn't tell, I didn't tell Casey this. I'm like, babe, I think the dishwasher broke. And I'm thinking, I don't think it's the dishwasher. I think I installed it. So I figured this dishwasher is amazing. It's, it's not broken. Obviously, something got kinked back there, came loose. And so I then uninstalled the dishwasher in order to reinstall. But... What I learned, what happened in that moment is, man, Jim Taylor, who's our kids' life director, who is 
literally, man, that guy serves everybody every, anytime. It's amazing. He came over to my house after a youth event, I think just to mock me as I had tools out. But Jim, before going into ministry, uh, was, had a very successful construction business. And so there I am on the floor with my wrenches and my tools reinstalling pressure, connector valve things, and there's Jim. I think he might have just been drinking some seltzer just watching me. Right? And I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, like, okay, I know it's righty tighty, lighty loose. I'm like, okay, Jim, I'm just loosening it back up. And as I was loosening back up, this is what I thought to myself. I thought, hey, here's the good news. If I actually can't tighten this thing back the right way, Jim is standing right behind me. Right? If I don't know how to do this, then the good news is Jim's watching me out here doing it, but ultimately the success of this job getting done won't have to fully depend on me because Jim Taylor is right there behind me. Right? It actually gave me, and interestingly, once I had it all hooked up, he's like, all right, let me see what you did. And then he tightened a few things. And it's working again, right? But in that moment, I didn't really worry because I'm like, man, I'm doing my best. I'm trying my hardest. But it's not ultimately up to me to make sure the job comes out the way it should back because somebody bigger and better and more knowledgeable in this area is right there behind me. And in ministry, you are sent by God to do certain things and to serve in certain ways, but ultimately in that ministry, it's not dependent upon your own ability to do it all perfectly because behind you is a God who is powerful, who is faithful, who guides, and who is in control of everything, who says to you, hey, here's what I'm calling you to do. You go down there and do it. You mess with that dishwasher. You love your kids. You serve your neighbors well. But ultimately, the success of that ministry doesn't depend upon your abilities or your wisdom or your goodness or your own ability to do it. It depends upon me. We have to be obedient. And when our faith intersects with God's faithfulness in ministry. Man, amazing, amazing things can happen. And when we face discouragement in ministry because we think we're not good enough, we're not gifted enough, we're not emotionally in the right place enough, what we need to remember is ultimately the success of that ministry doesn't depend upon all those things. It ultimately rests on God, who is powerful, faithful, guides, and is in control of everything. Then after this, as John realizes these reminders about God, something really interesting happens, and we hear more about what this angel is doing. And in verse 3, we read these words. And the angel, right, he called out with a loud voice like a lion roaring. And when he called out, the seven thunders sounded. What most scholars agree is that this concept of these seven thunders sounding means that there was something being communicated. If you remember throughout the book of Revelation, many times there's the sound of thunder, and then linked with that is this communication about something that is yet to come. A prophetic word is linked with this idea of of thunder. And so here, once again, like John's been experiencing and like we've been reading about, there's this, we're expecting, okay, there's these thunder sounding. There's something that's being communicated and that's linked with this symbolically and metaphorically. And we know that something's being communicated because we see what John's about to do. What John is about to do is he's going to do what he's done throughout the whole book. He's about to get his pen and he's about to write down what is heard. Verse 4, he 
says that. And when the seven thunders had sounded, I was about to write. So obviously there's something that's being communicated to that because he was going to write it down. But I heard a voice from heaven saying, seal up what the seven thunders have said and do not write it down. Seal up what the seven thunders have said and don't write it down. There are thousands and well, that's an exaggeration. There is tons of speculation about what was linked in these thunders. Um, many scholars, majority of scholars, think that actually these seven thunders were potentially revealing another set of judgments that were going to come. Um, but we don't know what they revealed. Because there's something that God conveyed to John that God then said to John, hey, John, no, no, don't, don't write this down. This is for you, but this isn't something that I want to reveal and preserve for everybody to know. God makes a lot of things known to us, but there are a ton of things that God hasn't made known to us. There is a lot of mystery. And there is mystery here because there's something that's been revealed that God particularly did not want us to know what it is. But in the very next sentence, there's something that God clearly wants us to know what it is. And here's what it is. Uh, so the, the voice says, seal up, don't write it down. And then verse 5, after that, right after that, the angel who I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven. This is symbolic of what you do in a courtroom. You take an oath. He's about to take an oath. He raised his right hand to heaven, and he swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and what is in it, the earth and what is in it, and the sea and what is in it, that there would be no more delay. But in the days of the trumpet called to be sounded by the seventh angel, the mystery of God would be fulfilled just as he announced to his servants and his prophets. We've gone through six trumpets. This is a parenthetical. We're about to get to the seventh trumpet. And what the angel is reminding John and assuring John of this is, John, there's some things that I don't want you to write down for everybody to know. But what I want you to know, John, and what I want to make sure you understand, John, is this, that there is something that is about to happen and there will be no more delay, right? That that is going to be fulfilled. And specifically, what's going to happen next in the book of Revelation that we're going to start picking up with after in the next month or so, because we're about to take three weeks off to think about Easter. What we're going to pick up with is this now this moment where there is going to be the seventh trumpet, and that is going to be this tipping point where now what we see is Jesus making his way back to earth. That, that's the scene that we're about to move into. There's been all those moments prepping it, but man, this is like, right, you know when you saw Maverick, when he was standing there on that aircraft carrier, and he was holding his helmet in his hand looking out of the ocean, and the music was swelling, and then the guy came up and said, Maverick, you're right where you belong. And a tear rolled down my eye in that moment. <laughs> and then on the aircraft carrier, as that theme is playing, the, the elevator starts to lift and Maverick starts to ascend up towards where his fighter jet is. You're like, bro, I know Maverick's on his way, right? The stage has been set. There is nothing left to do but for Maverick to get in that jet and make it all okay. We are in a moment in Revelation where what we're about to see is not Maverick ascending, but King Jesus descending on his way to come to earth to make everything okay. The, 
the, the, the prophetic moment in the timeline of human history and biblical history, whenever symbolically that seven trumpet sounds, right? Man, in that moment, the tipping point's been reached and King Jesus is coming. And what God is reminding John of as John has been ministering as a disciple of Jesus, seeing his friends killed for Jesus, himself being imprisoned in Jesus, having to process all these heavy things that are going to happen to people he probably loved or would love who didn't know Jesus if it happens today. What God is reminding of is, but John, listen, let me tell you something. Everything that I've promised is going to happen is going to happen. There is going to be no more delay. It will be fulfilled just as God has prophesied. And here's what the encouragement was meant to be for John that can be encouragement to this. When you're burdened in ministry, when you're weary in ministry, when you're tired in ministry, when you wonder if life is ever going to get any better, here's the next observation that King Jesus is coming. If you remember nothing about the book of Revelation besides a few ridiculous illustrations about Maverick, what I'd love for you to remember is this. This book screams that Jesus is making everything new, that King Jesus is coming, and that all will be well for those who need Jesus. No Jesus. No more brokenness. No more tears. No more hardships. Because the King is coming. That should do two things for you and me. The first thing that that should do for you and me is it should encourage us. Because whatever weariness we're facing, whatever brokenness we're facing, whatever thing isn't working or doesn't make sense, it is temporary for Christians. It is temporary for Christians. That will not be the whole reality because one day great things are coming and what you are doing for Jesus is not in vain. I think many times when we're tired and we're burnt out, we're like, it's just a waste of time. It's just going to continue to be a grind with no end in sight. And what God is reminding John of is, John, there is an end in sight. And for you and believers in me, it is a great end of sight. So, so just remember, keep pressing on, because what you're doing isn't in vain, because the king is coming. This should be an encouragement to us to help us persevere, to give us steadfastness, because it's not in vain. Parents, every morning that you wear yourself out every Sunday to get your kids here to church so they can hear about Jesus, every morning that all you want to do is sleep because they wore you out last week, and you got to get up another morning early, and you got to fill a sippy cup, and you got to get their Cheerios, and you got to change diapers, and you're like, is it really, man, you know, is it really worth coming to church? It is because your kids are getting a supplement to what you are hopefully already giving to them in an environment where they're hearing about Jesus. And it isn't in vain. For those of you who continue to try to love that person in your family who's not lovable, but you're trying to show them Jesus, it's not in vain. The king is coming. The second thing that this should do, though, is to challenge us. To challenge us. Because what this reveals is that There's a positive thing about not having this moment last forever, but there also is a reality and a challenge that, you know what, if God has called us to do certain things for him, we shouldn't waste time because we don't know how much time there is. 
This should be a challenge to us to leverage the moments to serve God and to to minister for God and to grab hold of those opportunities instead of procrastinating, instead of kicking it down the court another day. There's an encouragement here to us that, hey, the king's coming and it's going to be good, so keep pressing on because it's not in vain. But there's also a challenge here that, you know what, the clock is ticking. And if God is calling you to do something to serve him, then, man, you need to leverage that opportunity in that moment because you don't know how long that moment's going to be there. I went and had the privilege of doing a funeral yesterday, and uh, one of the family members in their comments, and even their comments to me, just shared how their sibling had died unexpectedly. And there was this list because the person that I know had been caring for the sibling who passed away, and this person had this list of all these things that they were going to do in 2023, right? All these appointments, there were a lot of like practical things, but appointments and do this and do this and do this. But you know what? When that person passed away unexpectedly, that list never got done. And that's not a fault of the sibling who was carrying. That's just the reality that, man, we have lists. We think there's time. We think there's days. But we don't know. Because God hasn't told us when the king is coming back. What Jesus has said is, hey, I'm coming back one day, so you all need to be faithful. And you all don't need to be sitting on the bench watching the game. You need to be active. You need to be engaged. You need to be serving. You need to be depending on me. Don't waste the moment. And I think many of us might waste moments because we prioritize other things as being more important. This should be an encouragement to us that we're not laboring in vain because the end is in sight and it's a great end. But because the end is in sight, that means the moment and the opportunity you have isn't going to be there forever. Leverage it. Grab it. Take hold of it. And don't waste something. If Jesus has said, I want to serve you in this way, don't kick that can down the court any further. What other encouragement comes from this? And let me just say this before I move on. There are two different ways that you have some opportunities to try to grab this current moment around the Easter season and try to serve and minister for Jesus well. All right, two different moments are going to be in front of you. If you got your bulletin, they're going to be in there. And let me just call these out to you because, man, these are moments. And you never know what God might do through these opportunities for you to minister and to serve him. We want to be a body of disciples who personally and collectively reach and impact other people with God's love and truth. And there's two ways for you to do that. The first way is we have the honor of partnering with an organization called Urban Impact. Urban Impact uh, serves a community, a neighborhood, a group of amazing people in Bridgeport in the P.T. Barnum neighborhood. And we as a church and other churches have all sorts of different ways that we get to engage and serve and partner. Um, and it's amazing. And so what's going to be happening on April 3rd is they're going to be, that ministry is going to be hosting this big Easter dinner. And we as a church have the opportunity to be involved in serving that Easter meal through a variety of different ways. We already have about 15 of you who are like, man, I'm in. But it would be amazing to have more than 15 of you to go serve a meal, to go be the hands and feet of Jesus, to show love to other people, and through that try to reach and perhaps impact them with God's love and truth. And so if you have availability or interest in, man, serving our surrounding neighborhoods and communities well in meaningful ways and being the hands of feet in Jesus, then in your bulletin, 
You will see that opportunity on April 3rd, and there's an email. If you want to get on the team or learn more information, there's a way for you to do that. So that's an amazing opportunity for you to grab onto in this season to try to minister and leverage the opportunities. Another one to call out that you'll hear more about in the coming weeks, but we did this last year, uh, but we're excited about this, and we want to invite you to participate with us. We want you to egg your neighbors. Yes. And guess what? It's not going to be overly expensive because these are fake eggs, okay? We're not asking you to go spend like $19.99 for six eggs and give them to your neighbor. But we are, well, man, what is a tangible way to some way just be a sweet aroma of Jesus in the nostrils of other people? Somewhere in different places in the Bible, those words are used, how Christians are to be a sweet aroma to the people in their communities. Do you think people in our communities think of Christians as a sweet aroma? Maybe, maybe not. But we have an opportunity to just show an act of love that could start a conversation, that could build a bridge, that could move into somebody having a conversation about the truth of the gospel and Jesus. And so we're going to provide for you, starting next week, uh, these for you to take. And what we would say to you is, man, we would love, do you not, let me just ask a question. Do you know anybody who may not be in a local church or a gospel preaching local church who has little kids? Okay. Anybody who may not be at a local church, gospel preacher church, that has little kids. I bet, unless you're a hermit, that you may know those people, right? What we would love for you to do over the coming days is just start praying. Like, I know that family, God. Is this something you'd like me to engage with in that family, or is there another family? And then what we're going to make available for you are two different things. There's this packet of eggs that says, you've been egged by Calvary Church, happy Easter, and there's a space for you to put your name. And then there are packets of these Easter eggs and some candy that you can fill in them. And the object of this is that at some period of time before Easter, right, maybe the night before, maybe the days before, you'll think of that family with little kids, and you will go and you will fill these eggs up, and you will scatter them in nice ways on their lawn. Like, don't go. We always say this. I don't want no popos calling me. All right? I don't want y'all stalking somebody at 2.45 in the morning with your camo on dressed like a ninja with night vision goggles. All right? That's not, don't scare the little children. All right? But we'd like for you to grab a packet, grab this, fill these with eggs, uh, fill the eggs, scatter them around your neighbor's yard, and then take this little box and put it in their mailbox, put them on their front porch, put them in a visible way, and it's a way for you to show an act of love to somebody who's around you that maybe all they want to know is hope because they're tired and they're feeling broken and they're worn out. And it is an act of kindness from somebody they know that says the name of a church and you have no idea what God might do through that little act. You have no idea. And you know, I know some of us are intimidated when it comes to evangelism or spreading the gospel. This is not intimidating. Like if you're intimidating by putting a couple of pieces of candy on your neighbor's lawn with a thing, then we can chat after service, right? Man, it's an easy way to show love because you don't know how much longer you're going to be in that neighborhood. Maybe you're going to move. You're going to transfer. Who knows? But you have this moment this Easter to show love to that person and to pray that God might work and to sit back and watch and see how he might use you in that adventure. And so in the coming weeks, you're going to see a lot of these. You're going to hear information. You're going to hear about urban impact in that. But <clears throat> God wants us to minister and serve for him, and we shouldn't waste the moments. 
we should leverage them. And this is a moment that you can grab hold of and you can do something prayerfully and you can sit and watch and see what God might do through it. The next piece of encouragement that God gives to John is as we continue on, he tells him to do something uh, symbolically, probably, and this is what he tells him to do in verse 8. Then the voice that I had heard from heaven spoke to me again, saying, Go take the scroll that is open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the scene on the land. So I went to the angel and I told him to give me the little scroll. And he said to me, Take it and eat it. It will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. And I took the little scroll from the hand of the angel, and I ate it. And it was sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I'd eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. A few thoughts walking through, and if you can go back to the next slide with verse 8, that would be great. Saying, take the scroll that is open. If you remember, I think it was Revelation chapter 5, we started to hear about this scroll, this scroll that was sealed up. And you remember maybe four or five chapter, the, the question was, who can open up the seals on the scroll? We saw that Jesus was able to. And this symbolically is likely that same scroll that Jesus opened up that we said either contains kind of this deed or contains the whole rescue plan for the remainder of the book of Revelation. So this scroll, which is God's revealed truth, God's truth, God's word, which is on this scroll, is being brought down. And the command to John is this really interesting thing, right? In those next verses, 9 and 10, what the angel says is, hey, bro, eat it, right? Give, take, and eat the, the, this scroll. Now, We've, this language about eating God's word is in different places in Scripture. Um, it's symbolic when you're taught in Scripture when it says to eat the word of God, right? It doesn't literally mean like I put honey or Chick-fil-A sauce on this and then like, um, um, um. it means I interact with it. I digest it. This idea is in the prophet Jeremiah, in Jeremiah 15, uh, 16, we see similar words where he says, your words were found... And I ate them, and your words became to me a joy and delight with Jeremiah, who had a terrible ministry. I mean, if I was Jeremiah, I would have walked out the door of the church on day two. I would have been like, you love y'all, but I'm off to be a paramedic, right? Well, in the midst of that discouragement, what Jeremiah says is, I, I interacted with your truth, God. I interacted with it, I ate it, I digested it, I processed it, and it was encouraged me. This aligns with... Very similarly, if you later today, if your team is losing in your brackets, uh, read through Ezekiel 2 and 3, chapters 2 and 3. You'll see a very similar challenge to a prophet back then. And as John eats these words in this text, he has two different experiences. His first experience is that interacting with the truth of God is something that is sweet to him. He describes it as being honey. And interestingly, Jeremiah, we see the same concept, the same ideas. Uh, go back one more slide where I saw it. That <clears throat> Jeremiah says, I ate the words, and they, your word, God, your truth, and my discouragement was a joy and a delight. Psalm 119 says similar things about God's word. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. John has been ministering faithfully for decades. And John has miles and miles to go in his ministry. And what God is saying to John is, John, what I want you to do is I want you to make sure in your ministry and in your service to me that you are, that you are interacting with this. 
that you're, you're interacting with the truth that I've revealed, that a truth that I've given to you, that you're digesting it, that you're processing it, that you're internalizing it so that this John, as you minister, can spiritually nourish and can spiritually delight you. Third thing to know when you get weary or discouraged from ministry is that God's Word can be a place of encouragement. God's Word can be a place of encouragement. Read the Psalms. Read the Psalms. Read the letters of Paul when Paul talks about being discouraged and praying for encouragement. But that's a reality for John and for you and for me that there's encouragement that comes when we're weary and tired through the revealed Word of God. When you're tired in ministry, it's not time to run from the Word, it's time to run to the Word. And you can't control what can happen in those moments. And what can be very frustrating is you go and you want to read something and have a and you read it and you're like, yeah, I've read that verse a thousand times. I don't see an angel. Well, you know what? You can't control how God chooses to act in the moments. But what you can control is whether you put yourself in a place for God to act if and when in his grace he chooses to, to encourage you and to nourish you and to refresh you. But for John, he, he did get nourishment, but the specific truth that was on those scrolls that were part of what he was interacting with was truth about what was going to happen to people who didn't know Jesus. It was truth about what would happen to people who weren't in a relationship with Jesus, and part of what God was telling John to process and to work through was that. And as John processed through that aspect of the truth, that didn't encourage him. That brought heaviness, right? What we've read is when later it said, I took the little scroll from the hand of the angel, verse 10, and I ate it. And as he, as he was processing with God's word, there was encouragement. He says, it was sweet as honey in my mouth. But when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. Because what's John saying is, okay, as I process the truth and the reality that's been revealed about what's going to happen to people who don't know Jesus, that was not sweet for me. That was not an encouragement for me. What John's saying is, man, that, that burdens me. That saddens me. That weighs on me. That reality, that is bitter to me. For John, a guy who was ministering faithfully for Jesus, the reality of good and evil and heaven and hell was not something John took flippantly. And for you and for me, the reality is, and, and many of you know this, and at some point probably all of you will, but being in a place to minister for God, wherever that place is he calls you, where you handle truth, but where you're also the person who says, man, this is what God says is appropriate and what God says is wrong, as you watch people experience consequences for their choices not to obey God, as God calls you to stand in the gap and to say, this is what God says and this is where I will stand, man, that's not always sweet. That's not always smooth like honey. It can be hard. It can be burdensome. It can be weary, and it can be discouraging. 
standing in the gap based on the truth of God, watching ramifications for people who don't pursue that truth, that, that's not a field of lilies and lilacs. That's something that can be a weight, standing for truth when truth is not readily enjoyed or accepted can be hard. And maybe you felt that. Maybe there's been something in your story where you're like, man, I'm trying to do it God's way. I'm trying to stand for God's truth, but I, I'm just getting beat up. I'm trying to do what he wants, say what he wants, live like he wants, right? But this is hard, and this is bitter, and you're tired of it, and you're weary of it, and you're burnt out from it. The one thing for you to remember is in that moment, you're not alone. In your weariness, in your this is hard, you're not alone because that's what John felt in some ways. The task that he was called to do and all the truth and all the things that he was asked to do alongside that, he's like, man, this is bitter. This is hard. And for some of you who have experienced that, I think what also sometimes makes it harder is you feel like you're all alone. One of the most encouraging things for me personally, as we all together went through COVID, went through George Floyd, went through masks, no masks, vax, no vax, and there were all sorts of everything all linked to that. It, hey, we're through it, right? Somebody, well, never mind. We're through it. But in all of that, as I was like, man, how do you pastor in this environment? How, how do you pastor in this environment? One of the most encouraging things for me was to get and connect with several other local pastors at, at churches you would clearly know. And man, we'd just be like, bro, I'm toast. But you know what? Knowing that I wasn't the only one who was toast was such encouragement to me. And if this morning you're feeling like toast because of the ministry to which God has called you to, know that you're not alone. Fourth thing to know when burdened or weary in ministry is what we just said. You're not alone. You're not the only parent who's tired. You're not the only person praying for an unsaved relative that's wondering. Whatever it is, you're not alone. But in this moment, and this is our last point, what does God say to John? As John just has told us and written down for us, he's written down for you and for me. Hey, I interacted with God's word. I know what God wants me to do. I know what's coming. I know the role that he wants me to have in that. I understand it. And it is bitter. It is not what I want to do. I am tired. I'm burnt out. I'm on this island by myself. I kind of wish I could just say, no thanks. The very last thing that God says to John in verse 11 is this. And I was told... You must again prophesy about many people and nations and languages and kings. You must again prophesy about all that I've told you coming. What God is saying is this, John, look, you and I have had a few moments together now. And I've tried to remind you of who I am so you know my attributes and you know I'm behind you, helping you do what I'm calling you to do. I've told you to come to my word as a place of encouragement, right? I've, I've reminded you also that what is linked in with the thing I'm calling you to do. And John, I know you're worn out. I know you're tired. I know you're discouraged. But John, you need to get up and you need to take the next step and you need to do the thing that I'm calling you to do. Because John, there's still work for you to do. When you are weary 
and you are burdened in ministry. Throughout the scripture, when people are weary and burdened in ministry, there are times when God comes and says, bro, broette, take a break, right? Take a break. Rest. Sabbath. Let me minister to you. There are those clear moments where God says to people, I'm not calling you to be a martyr to to kill yourself, rest, heal, take care of yourself. But, right, they, you know, the first thing they teach you when you're a first responder is if you rush into the burning building and die, you ain't going to be much help to other people. But there's also times when God comes to people in the Bible, like he comes to John and says, John, I got it. You're tired. You're worn out. John, there's still work for you to do. So put on your big boy pants, get up tomorrow morning, have a strong cup of coffee, depend upon me, and then discharge the duties of your ministry that I'm calling you to do. And keep pressing on. Here's the fifth and final thing, and I'll invite the worship team to come up here with this. Fifth thing to know, rest if God is telling you to rest and press on if he is calling you to do that. Rest if God is calling you to rest. And listen, um, one of the best things I did during my sabbatical is I got coaching and counseling. There is an organization in Florida that helps pastors uh, who are going through sabbaticals or whatever, and I had a great guy that I connected with on several occasions who kind of coached me, but also like just counseled, like, why why you burn out? Let's just talk. And for me, having a safe place to be able to do that was, was honey to my soul. And for some of you, if you're tired, right, and I am, this, I am this, some of you, if you're tired, there's no shame in admitting that. And there's no shame in getting counseling or finding somebody to talk to. And I think the machismo that some of us carry, particularly as good evangelical Christians who God alone is enough, God alone is enough, but God in his kindness gives us other trained people who can be an encouragement and be the hands and feet to us to help us heal and rest. And so don't let machismo keep you from going to a very person that God may have put in your life to be a source of strength and encouragement through counseling to you. Rest. But then other of you, it is hard serving God. It is hard. And if you're going to quit and walk away just because you've had a bad day, sometimes you need to put on your big boy pants or big girl pants. You need to have a strong cup of coffee. You need to depend upon the Lord, and you need to keep pressing on. You need to keep pressing on. Fifth thing to know, like we said, is rest if God is calling you to rest and press on if he's calling you to do that. We're going to end our time together by singing... um, but as we do, I'm going to invite you to stand. And as these guys take their spaces up here, let me just read to you this verse um, as a prayer for you. As a prayer for you as you're faithfully trying to serve God wherever he has you serving. This is what I pray over you and for you from the words of Paul. We have not ceased to pray for you asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, 
being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The King is coming, so keep pressing on.